today on Ag News Daily. You know, I think when you look at this market overall, my experience tells me the weather market, and that's what we're in flat out, a weather market. And I think we'll uh, realize that each weekend as we go forward. So I, I think this is just the start of it. Well, here we are, listeners, November 20th. It's a Monday, 2023, the week of Thanksgiving, Delaney. That's true. It is the week of Thanksgiving, Tanner. Thank you for stating the obvious. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you, know, you never know. Someone might pick this show up a week late and not realize that we're already feeling festive and our tummies are hungry. <laughs> I'm certainly ready for some turkey. Tanner, did you know that turkeys can see in color, but they don't really see well at night? I guess I just assumed turkeys saw in color, as most, don't most animals see in color? Well, I think dogs, right, supposedly don't uh... see Yes, you're probably right. Well, before we get into any more of your fun facts, let's hit some weather. We've got wind advisories across most of the plains. Of course, the southern plains will have the highest sustained wind gusts. They're looking at 25 to 35 miles per hour with occasional gusts of 45 to 50. We're talking Texas and Oklahoma panhandles. Those advisories are in effect for most of today. We also see western South Dakota having some of the same effects. Sudden wind gusts can cause drivers to lose control, especially in lightweight, high-profile vehicles. We're seeing a little bit of a cool down here in Iowa this week. More seasonal-like temperatures as we look through a small chance of rain tomorrow. Some light showers this morning. Thanksgiving's looking to be like a typical year, at least in our part of the country, Delaney. It is, but I know, of course, South American countries don't celebrate Thanksgiving, Tanner, but all eyes are down to South America where they're expected to start getting a little bit of rainfall. However, a lot of folks are suggesting it's going to be less rainfall than what they truly need, especially in some of the parts of central Brazil where rainfall has been limited. This year's planting season is starting off at a much later pace than usual, and that's really been one factor that's kept the bulls around in the markets here as we look at the U.S. harvest coming online. But Tanner, another thing that might be in attention here for traders is the Argentinian runoff election that was concluded over the weekend. Have you heard any of this news? I have not, but it sounds like you're going to get us up to speed. Oh, I'm so up to speed. I I enjoy this type of stuff. But heading into the election, Argentina Tanner is at about 150% inflation. So I'm going to consider us lucky here in the United States. They've been dealing with a lot of political corruption and instability. And we saw the newest member of their presidency will step into office. And it's Argentinians libertarian president-elect candidate Javier Malay was the one that shocked the world and won the runoff presidential election, ousting the two primary parties, because again, he is a libertarian presidential candidate and now president elect. He won the election with a 56% popular vote and got a lot of support from younger people eager for change. Whether or not he enlists change Tanner is yet to be seen, of course, but he's going to be heading into a really tough term ahead of him. But he has pledged to try out some shock therapy for their economy. Uh, His big plans are going to include shutting down Argentina's central bank. He's going to ditch the peso in favor of the U.S. dollar. TBD, what that means exactly if they're going to be adopting the U.S. dollar or what. And he's really looking to slash spending just like the Federal Reserve here in the United States has done. And there's 
also other painful reforms, he said, are going to have to happen to lift the country out of the economic pit they are currently in. They've got about $44 billion in debt. The International Monetary Fund is on the cusp of defaults. And like I mentioned earlier, 150% inflation. So he has the ability to dramatically change the Argentinian system. And of course, along with that, the agricultural system as well, which he is a very pro-agriculture candidate, Tanner, I guess I should say now president-elect. So that could mean good things for Argentina's agriculture. Of course, all of those programs are going to take time, but he's promising big things ahead of Argentina. So it'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you get excited about that. It sounds like almost as excited as I get about the Thanksgiving meal. I did find here quick that four out of five Americans will celebrate Thanksgiving with a meal of some sort. Nearly 80% wanted to know what this will have an effect on their wallets. The American Farm Bureau Federation did its 38th annual Thanksgiving dinner survey, and they came in at $61.17 to host 10 guests. This assumes your dinner will include turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, dinner rolls, frozen peas, fresh cranberries, celery, carrots, pumpkin pie with whipped cream and whole milk. American Farm Bureau said that inflation is notably high. The cost has risen 25% since 2019, but only up until now. That 25% is still over that spread. This year, we saw a 4.5% dip from 2022 to feed your party of 10. The items surveyed the largest increase is your pumpkin pie this year at positive 3.8% and your dinner rolls up 3%. Whipped cream is down 22, almost 23%. Fresh cranberries are down 18%. The typical Thanksgiving is anchored by turkey at least the iconic Thanksgiving meals are. A 16-pound turkey accounts for 45% of the meal, which is down 5.6% year over year. But to double up on that data, we also saw Wells Fargo's chief ag economist state that there's more in the bank for those after Thanksgiving this year. Year over year, the fresh turkeys are down 16% at the retail level which is interesting. They stated that turkey supply has been able to have a little excess, not a ton, but a little excess to help that cost go down. They stated that uh, there are cranberries that are looking to offset some of that as well. But when you look at how much the turkey product goes into Thanksgiving, nearly 84% of fresh turkeys, not frozen necessarily, Delaney, fresh turkeys go into Thanksgiving. So those birds that are harvested this time every year will go straight to dinner plates across the United States. So when we look at traveling, they did state that those costs are lower than it was this time last year. So if you're excited for Thanksgiving, it sounds like you should have a little bit more left in your wallet and it might not be as painful to travel this year, Delaney. I was about to ask what was the difference between a fresh and a frozen turkey, but I didn't realize people ordered fresh turkeys that are coming, I assume, straight from the farm tanner. Yeah, I was trying to find the number of exactly how many turkeys that 84% represented and how fresh fresh was, but it did state that it is not frozen. Hmm. Well, okay, I guess I'm out of that equation then. Yes, same here. Well, Tanner, in some other news here, a Kansas plant 
has reached a settlement here with Syngenta after allegedly uh, selling some seed and chemical that they should not have. The allegations in question here was Mr. Fletchell, Mary, excuse me, Marty Fletchell of Beloit, Kansas, who allegedly, again, they reached a settlement, but allegedly uh, he purchased some Syngenta seed and did not uh, do what he was supposed to do as due diligence there as far as getting that seed uh, authorized to be able to sell. Under the terms of the settlement agreement, Fletchell has agreed to cease and desist from all further efforts to offer or sell Syngenta's PVPA protected wheat seed varieties. And they have reached a settlement, Tanner, although they're not releasing as of this moment in time how large that settlement was. But this is a wheat variety that's been used in Kansas for the past five years. And he was allegedly going about and selling this uh, to folks he was not authorized to sell it to. Do you like that I'm using the word allegedly? I feel like when you reach a settlement, most people assume you are guilty, but you technically have not admitted to any guilt. That is correct. Usually is uh, a look economically at the cost to defend versus what your punishment is going to be. Um, Certainly does seem like wheat was planted, harvested, cleaned, and resold in the allegations, but nonetheless, a settlement was reached. It was indeed. Another uh, lawsuit here, which may or may not reach a, a settlement, is a pair of Iowa trucking companies are now accused in a federal civil lawsuit of conspiring to fraudulently bring in guest workers under the H-2A visa program to work as long-haul truckers instead of temporary workers on a farm operation. The lawsuit was brought forward last week by the group's Farmworker Justice and Iowa Legal Aid in the U.S. District Court for Northern Iowa on behalf of Carol Hanicom, a 59-year-old guest worker from South Africa. This case was first reported to the Iowa Capital Dispatch, but according to the complaint, there were a few different operations that are accused of using a company called Golden Opportunities International to bring in H-2A workers to the town of, I've never even heard of this town, Tanner, being from Iowa, Rake, Iowa, Rakey, Iowa, to work on- Okay, I thought so too. But they were brought in to work on livestock operations, but then instead were used as truckers for long-term routes, uh, shipping routes. And the businesses are were allegedly fraudulently passed themselves off as agricultural enterprises, although in reality they operate exclusively as trucking companies and don't really have um, quote-unquote farm that farms that they would need these H2A visa workers for. But all in all, the lawsuit alleged that the business brought in more than 40 South African H2A guest workers going back all the way to 2018. Yikes. That uh, certainly has some implications there as well. We did see a positive implication, though, coming out of Japan. The 2020 removal of the 10% duty on U.S. peanut imports under the U.S.-Japanese trade agreement is now allowing peanut producers to take a more competitive approach in the Japan marketplace. In November, there was a meeting between top U.S. ag and trade officials, as well as importers, manufacturers, and other farmers 
to work on the removal of that 10% duty that was put in place in 2020. The Japan-US trade agreement is now going to make a more competitive edge for our peanut growers. Japan is the fifth largest market for US peanut exports. They've been consistently growing. They set a record in 2022 with nearly 20,171 metric tons of peanuts and peanut products with nearly a $36 million value. So we're only looking for this market to increase. Last week's official visit to Japan was important for the U.S. peanut industry and for continued trade development there. Aside from meeting agriculture and trade policy officials to discuss this environment, other developments may be coming down the pipeline. But the first one is the one that came out about the peanuts. Japan's retail is looking at nuts, seeds, and trail mixes is now nearly a $408 million market. And that is a huge increase over 2022 by nearly $50 million. So on behalf of the U.S. peanut industry, it is collaborating with the Agricultural Development uh, Center to undertake these developments so that global consumption of U.S. peanuts can continue to grow, Delaney. Well, Tanner, consumption of U.S. cattle should continue along as cattle on feed was a friendlier report than what folks originally expected. That, of course, came out on Friday afternoon. But the cattle on feed report showed that it was much friendlier than expected with cattle in feedlots with capacity of 1,000 head or more totaled 11.9 million head as of November 1st. That is a 2% increase from a year ago and fairly in line with average pre-report trade estimates. Placements in feedlots during the month of October totaled 2.16 million head, 4% above 2022. The average trade estimate was for 6% increases over over last year levels, so a little lower than what the overall trade was expecting. But during October, placements of cattle and calves weighing less than 600 pounds we're about 550,000 head and then so on and so forth as we look here. Lastly, marketings of fed cattle during October totaled 1.76 million head, 3% below 2022 and in line with pre-report trade estimates. Tanner, we're continuing to see the herd here stay somewhat stable. We were expecting, you know, overall maybe to see um, a shrinking supply of cow herd, which would increase or continue to increase prices at the grocery store. However, we saw things stabilize here, but uh, USDA Outlook Board Chairman says that we will see a fairly sharp reduction in beef production as well as historically high steer prices here moving forward. That's his outlook heading into 2024. I know I saw a tweet by Kelly Garrett, a friend of our podcast, that stated his Thanksgiving dinner will be all beef, and he made a a bunch of different beef cuts into the shape of a turkey. However, beef still seems to be the most expensive protein source that you could put on the dinner table this year, Delaney. That is not surprising. (laughs) Well, last headlines I've got today is just some update on what is happening in the Gaza region. Ambulances have been cleared to evacuate premature babies and babies that need extra incubation. 
from Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital. They have arrived in Egypt safely where medical professionals can now take care of them. Israel is under pressure to provide evidence that it has claimed the Hamas used Al-Shifa for combat purposes. It is supposed to be a neutral hospital for all victims. They've released surveillance video on Sunday that shows Hamas militants bringing two hostages into the complex. CNN is following that story. They've also visited a newly exposed tunnel shaft at the complex, which may offer some compelling evidence that there was a tunnel network, but does not establish without a doubt that Hamas command center was in or beneath that facility. However, the United States and Qatar state that they are giving some upbeat assessments around the negotiations for hostages held by the Hamas. They're looking at a deal that would free dozens of civilians, and that might be reached before we get to Thanksgiving. But that's what I've got for headlines today, Delaney. I think I am just wrapping up here with headlines myself, Tanner. Just a few other quick ones here. Uh, As of Monday... Today, the USDA will begin to report on Proposition 12 hogs. This new classification, of course, is in response to California's Prop 12 rules. But as of today, this is the first time we will see in a report National Weekly Direct Swine Non-Carcass Merit Premium Pork. That is a reflection of pigs that have been raised either in accordance with Proposition 12 or not in accordance with Proposition 12, which is breeding cells that need at least 24 square feet per California's classification. But thought that is interesting, Tanner, that we will start to see that in the reports released by the USDA. And lastly here, this might be a fun interview, Tanner, coming up in the podcast. I don't know. We'll have to see what we can arrange. But Continuum Ag has launched a billion bushel challenge where they're challenging farmers to take ownership of their carbon intensity scores with an estimated 6 billion bushels being used for ethanol production next year. Continuum is setting their sights on helping the industry score their carbon intensity over a billion bushels in 2024. This billion bushel challenge initiative is going to be supported by Continuum Ag and their team, Tanner. But they said there's a lot of changes coming down the pipeline, such as the income section 40, incoming section 45Z tax credit. Biofuel manufacturers aim to earn tax credits for 2025 by creating low carbon fuel. And farmers are going to be asked to do more to help contribute and keep track of the carbon intensity score. So, There's going to be a live webinar later today, 4 p.m. Central Time on Monday, November 20th. And I'm sure we will see more information coming out after that webinar today, Tanner, to learn about how this program is actually going to be implemented. But I thought that was kind of some neat and exciting news coming down the pipeline for Continuum Ag. Yeah, absolutely. Mitchell will be a good resource there, and we'll make sure to provide that information efficiently. But where did we look at markets closing today? Well, Tanner, markets are certainly having a hard time finding their footing as we see a mix of signals with harvest wrapping up here and being better than expected in the United States. That's certainly fighting the bulls who are watching South American weather, but today the bulls won out. Tanner, looking at January soybeans, they are up 27 cents on the board at 13.67 and a quarter. As we take a look at December winter wheat, 
They are up down seven and a half cents today at six ten and a half. Chicago wheat down seven and a quarter cent to close at five forty three and a half. And spring wheat in the December contract shed eight and a half cents today to close at seven oh seven and a quarter. Livestock today, Tanner also had kind of an ugly day, mixed day on the board. December live cattle shed twenty seven and a half cents to close at a buck seventy five forty seven. January feeder cattle added $1.35, closing the day out at $2.29.85. And December lean hogs shed 62.5 cents to close at $70.35. Tanner, for today's Market Monday segment, we're switching things up a little bit. Had a really good panel discussion last week at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters annual convention with three really smart brokerage guys. We've got Don Rose. Tommy Grizzafi and Mike Suzalo. So I thought it would be best to let the discussion play out for our listeners talking higher level topics for 2024 and also a few short-term factors to watch here as we round out the year. So let's turn it over to that panel discussion. Joining us here today for a good conversation about What's going on in the markets? Joining me to the far right, Don Rose with U.S. Commodities in Des Moines. Mike Zuzolo with Global Commodity Analytics in Atchison, Kansas. And Tommy Grisafi with Advanced Trading, Valparaiso, Indiana. And gentlemen, thank you all for uh, being with us here today. And let's dive in and talk about the markets. And I think just to start, we've seen since the WASD last week, soybeans, bean meal, kind of had this big rally. It kind of took a little break today, but... Soybeans really took off. A lot of it tied to South American weather concerns. And I think just to start, what are your thoughts on how much longer can this rally last in a volatile weather market like we're seeing right now? Don, if you want to start, what's your thoughts on this rally right now in this soybean market? Yeah, good afternoon. Glad to be here with everybody. Um, You know, I think when you look at this market overall, my experience tells me that weather market, and that's what we're in flat out, a weather market. And I think we'll Uh, realize that each weekend as we go forward. So I I think this is just the start of it. Um, Usually weather markets are very fast. They're uh, four to six weeks in length. They're your inner out and they're uh, up or down. And um, you get a little bit of a setback, but that's what we're focused on right now. We've got a very tight situation in the U.S. soybean uh, balance table, but on the world we're still, um, we still have adequate supplies but it's uh, all about South America. Between Argentina and Brazil, uh, they raise about twice as many soybeans as we do, to put it in perspective. If they have a problem, we have a problem. Tommy, I'll, I'll let you take it. We'll get the mic passed over here. Um, your thoughts on soybeans right now? Yeah, when you watch soybeans rally like that, the other day on Monday when we came in, Sunday night, soybeans opened down. Whoops, I can't lean on that. Soybeans opened down a couple pennies, and by Monday afternoon, they were up 38 cents. But corn was down six or seven all night, and it took a lot of energy to get corn going. Then corn looked over and said, I guess if beans are going to be up 40, we should participate too. But it, to, to Mike's point, it is a soybean rally. It is not a bull market in corn. It's not a bull market in wheat. We have a lot of grain on the world market, and it's going to take an incredible amount of energy to keep that market up if as a as a trader, someone who owns a seat at the Board of Trade, I would be very nervous to go to bed long $14 soybeans and wake up. Now, they may go to 15 in the next week or two, as, as we, Mike had said. You come in on the Sunday nights, we're going to mm-hmm. have gap open higher or lo- lower. But I, with everything happening in the world, 
this feels like a gift and an opportunity for American producers to hedge a, a South American problem. It's pretty neat that we're at the 80th NAFB and we're on the cusp of finding out what happens between President Biden and President Xi uh, in their first get together in two years. I think it's a big deal from a standpoint of 2024. Um, what, what Tom and Don are talking about, I couldn't agree more with from a standpoint that we in our trade have been living off of weather supply led rallies, <clears throat> very hard to market in, very hard to uh, control the volatility and the risk management side of the equation. What we need and what we've lost since the pandemic or even maybe a little bit before is the return of demand. And the two things that I come to mind, that come to mind for me most for the demand side is the Federal Reserve and them sitting on the nest in terms of not being so hawkish and not going after game, as I would say, but maybe going to the nest like they sound like they're going to do, become more neutral. Um, and I think also the second thing would be China. Um, and I'm hopeful that the meeting between President Xi and President Biden will make some headway on trade and pull us back away from the protectionism that we found and that has really disrupted the grains in particular. So that's probably the way I see going into 2024, a lot could be made in terms of headway given the CPI data this week, given the Federal Reserve last month, and maybe just maybe what the, what the U.S. and China work out this week. You brought up uh, the meeting between President Xi and President Biden here and thinking about soybean exports right now and on the same topic of South America, China's been going to South America quite a bit here in recent years for their product over the U.S. I know we've seen a lot of export sales here in the last week or so on beans, but I have to wonder, and I'll ask you guys, is that just catching us up to where we should be this time of year with soybean exports? What do you guys think? I think when you look at South America, to put it in perspective, Brazil's going to export 3.7 billion bushels of soybeans. We're going to export about 1.7. So, you know, they're the big elephant in the room. We did see, I think, really what China's doing, uh, you know, Mike brings up China, is I think they don't want to get caught like uh, the people did in the soybean meal last year. Argentina, um, largest soybean meal exporter in the world, had a drought. And, you know, that's coming home to roost now with uh, soybean meal very tight. And I think China is probably uh, preparing uh, for that same situation in El Nino year. That's my opinion. Exports need to pick up. There's no doubt about it. Sure. The, the lower dollar certainly is, uh, is something that's going to do it. Tommy, any thoughts? You know, China never calls any of us, even though you're all in the media business, China never calls us before they make a big purchase. The, there's a few people in the world who see it happen. We get the, I guess maybe a better question is why is our information so delayed with our sales and everything else? With all this technology we have, we find out days later that we sold the largest country or our largest customer in the world product. It seems a little weird. It was very interesting, the timing of the big sale and then the announcement maybe a day or later of the uh, two leaders getting together. So a little optimism there on... Uh, on the world front when it feels like the world's very unstable, but uh, yeah. The one thing I'm really watching closely is the golf price. And, and we know we've got the Mississippi River issues in the lower Mississippi with Memphis, and that gauge is going down by the day now again. Um, but we do have the Pacific Northwest for the soybean complex. And so I think the Pacific Northwest price, the Gulf of Mexico price, comparing that with the port of Paranagua is still very vital. And I noticed that last week, 
power and agua's price went down from a, or went from about $510 a ton down to about $460, $470 a ton. That makes me think that they've probably canceled China. They being can't China, they canceled beans and moved to the United States. They aren't adding both U.S. beans and Brazilian beans at this point. My my suspicion would be they went after beans that they could get a hold of, and so that Paranagua port price is going to be very important as the rains continue to fall in that same area that the port is located in to see if that price spikes uh, because they can't get much out the door um, or whether we see 30, 40, 50 vessels uh, at the port of Paranagua essentially sitting idle like we did about two weeks ago. Let's talk about the corn market a little bit. Um, and Tommy and I were talking about this earlier today and he brought up a great point. December options expire here eight, nine days away. During the holidays, corn, we know on the U.S. side and the world side, there is a ton of corn out there. Prices have obviously reflected that. Looked like we were trying to rally off a low early this week, and then we gave a lot of that back on Wednesday. And so I wonder your guys' thoughts on the corn market with some of the volatility coming up on a key options expiration for the December contract here towards the end of the year. What are we looking at? Do we have the potential to try and hold this recent 460 low? Should we be concerned and on the lookout for volatility and breaking more to the downside? What do you guys think is going on in this corn market right now? Don, you want to start? Yeah, you know, it's one of those you can't put lipstick on a pig, they say. And I think um, when you have a 2.2 billion carryout, we've seen 280 corn with that kind of carryout. You have the fifth largest, uh, well, we have a five-year high on the world-ending stocks. But, you know, I hate to go back to South America again, but um, I think that's a, uh, you know, a big deal. 77% uh, of the uh, exportable corn, the second corn crop, the safrina corn crop, is... Um, planted after the soybeans are planted, and it looks like they're going to push that back further into uh, the dry season uh, versus the monsoon season. So um, the corn balance table can change pretty fast, and our export pace could pick up pretty fast, too. Remember, last year Brazil had a record crop. You know, two things on the corn, to Tom's point about the expiration, is I'm starting to hear from Illinois and Indiana clients who are wrapped up or wrapping up corn harvest that if you don't have a drier issue, you don't have too wet a corn, um, the, the basis, especially in Illinois, central Illinois, western Illinois, starting to come up. And I think that's something to watch here because at some point, maybe after December options expire and as December futures go into delivery, it will be similar to what we saw with the November beans, which just expired, Jesse. That's where the cash market and the futures market came together. And we had that rally. We had that very strong rally, and the soybeans didn't back down technically. They held support levels. Kind of looking at the same type of situation as we get close to these futures expiration, um, I've always kept my eye on the 480 level in lead month corn. That's the 52-week moving average right now. It's pretty much a flat line at this point, so you don't have to remember the 52-week moving average or look at it every day. It's pretty much 480 every day we come in. Um, so if we would break that on a weekly basis, I think that would suggest that we've got our wheat low in place. I can't get behind corn in terms of a major low until I get a wheat low first, and that's been a real issue for me the last year, year and a half, knowing that world wheat stocks to use ratios are at nine-year lows right now. Uh, I think Rabobank came out with their updated um, analysis on the food outlook for 2024. Financial Times picked mm -hmm. it up this morning. They talk about how we're dealing with a deficit in, in grains for a fifth year in a row. 
trade's not seeing it that way. So I think wheat is our canary in the coal mine. This cattle market's been red hot. We get an October cattle on feed report that basically cuts our legs out from underneath us. Feels like we're just now starting to kind of bounce off a low, and we got another report coming up here on Friday that sounds like that placement number is going to be pretty high again. We talk about this cattle herd being low, yet here we are with the potential for another bearish report that could take another leg out of this cattle market. So are you guys worried going into this cattle on feed report coming up on Friday that it could put another sting into this cattle market right now? Well, you know, I think when you look at it, I was just going to back up just a little bit, is, you know, talk about price projections. I'm a believer in keep it simple, stupid. And, you know, the government does a lot of research. And, um, you know, back to the, to the cattle going forward, um, they've been saying 185 on cattle um, all the time when everybody's talk, talking these big numbers. So I think you have to look at that. But, no, I think the biggest worry I have for the cattle industry is the guys should be uh, hedged in some way or with a bunch of puts bought or something to protect the break-evens because there's a lot of money on the table. But um, to the cattle on feed report, it looks like the placements are going to be up 6% again, and that's about what the September or October one was. So, um, But I think we're oversold, and I think the trend's turned up, and the cash market looks like it's firming up. So um, concern on the report, but um, probably dialed in. Okay. Tommy, Boston Cattle? It's adult swim only in cattle. you you got to not just have the money to make one margin call, but you better send in money to make three because they let you in sometimes, they don't let you out. One interesting thing about cattle, I don't know how long they'll keep doing this, but we have this new government insurance that you can sell. We do have brokers who are registered with insurance. So the government's going to release the number, and you still have till like 8.30 in the morning Saturday to buy that government uh, put. And I find it fascinating that they'll let our own government will let you uh, front front run their own number so th do it it's uh, until you know it's legal till it's not legal and it's totally legal but uh, looking back at last number because we have two brokers at advance who sell this insurance I go hold on a second did they release a bearish number and you could have bought insurance a few hours later I mean this is like a total Vegas trade just two quick things on the on the cattle I, th I think me personally um, I'm having a difficult time pegging when we're going to retain females, when we're going to be seeing heifer retention. And that's where the placements numbers are going to be, to me, watched so closely and traded so closely the next three months. Uh, and, and, and the reason I think that it's so difficult, Jesse, to find out when the retention starts is because of the wild price swings, but also because of the drought. The drought hasn't gone away in some areas. It's even gotten worse in some areas, but it's gotten better in places like Enid, Oklahoma. So I think this is a big deal from a standpoint of the future cattle on feed reports. Dressed weights tend to peak here in the next 30 days. I think that's going to happen again this time around, even with cheap feed. I think that could bring some support to the cattle market. Number three, um, the U.S. dollar going back to the export-import market going forward the next six months. I think that's a really big deal. If we can break the dollar down and keep it down, especially against the Brazilian real, which I think just made like an eight-week high against the U.S. dollar this week, I think that could really take some of the pressure off. Outside markets, we got a lot of inflation data this week. We know that we're seeing it a lot more with the way things trade now. Outside markets are playing a lot into grain trade, into livestock trade, into energies, etc. What are your thoughts on the overall health of the U.S. economy right now and how it's affecting ag markets? Yeah, well, I think bottom line is the U.S. has too much debt, the consumer has too much debt, and think interest rates at 5% is too high, where during the Depression, 
look it up, interest rates were more like four to five percent. So I think it's a lot of uh, headaches ahead yet. So I would be concerned. I think the dollar um, probably is too high, um, but we're the best of the worst. Well, that was, I like all that, that we're the best of the worst. We are. There's a whole, I'm older, I'm 51, but there's 15 years of lost trading where people didn't realize interest rates could go up. So there's 15 years of bad habits. And if you're in your 30s and you're farming, you don't actually realize what's happening. They'll realize more when they go to renew this year and stuff. But things that worked the last 15 years aren't going to work moving forward. And the fact grandma can get 5%, you have a million dollars, she can get 50 grand, that, that's very appealing to a large group of people. And there was a whole bunch of people who were forced into risky assets who didn't really want to be risk takers, but that was their only choice. And that's all unwinding. So although we did have economic data that calmed down tremendously this week, the way the analogy I gave you during your show today, Jess, was imagine everyone got sick in the whole house, wife, kids, everything else. You get everyone healthy and you think everything's okay. That's where we were today, but in the next few weeks and months, we'll be like, okay, things are better, inflation's coming down. Oops, the Dow Jones rallied 700, it explodes in the end of the year. We have inflation again. And so someone's gonna come home sick again and get the whole house sick. I don't think we just get inflation down and that's it, we, we hit it. And for the Fed to do what they need to do to nick inflation, I don't think they'd ever be willing to do that during an election year. To truly tame inflation, they have to nuke it. And they're not going to do that for many reasons, of course. Mike, thoughts on the economy? Uh, you know, the pressure that we're feeling with this deglobalization right now, the heart of it is the monetary policy, in my opinion. The heart of it is um, the Federal Reserve um, pressuring the inflation to go down using essentially a broad axe where you need a scalpel. I mean, that's what monetary policy is. It's, it's for demand, but what we have is a supply-based inflation in many respects. And to put a point on what Don and Tom are talking about, um, we have had subpar growth, but we've got $238 trillion of global debt right now. And that's IMF statistics from September. Um, there is a company called Global Trade Alert. Um, we've gone from roughly 9,000 protectionist measures, what was it, a decade ago, to now over 35,000. I really go back to one of my first points is I really think we're on a tipping point. We need to get the U.S.-China trade relationship economically back on track, and we need the European Central Bank and the Fed to back away from these interest rate hikes, or I do worry that the commodity markets are going to be just as tough in 2024, and we're going to have to live again on the weather and the supply rallies. Well, that was interesting and a change of pace for us. So thanks for putting that together, Delaney. Listeners, we are going to still be here this week, even though it is the week of Thanksgiving. So tune back in tomorrow for another good conversation. But Delaney, for today, what do you say? Should we let him go? Let's let him go. Let's let him go.